So good morning everyone. It's wonderful to be um, sitting here with so many people on a Sunday morning. Uh, the title of this talk is Absorptions and Awakenings. Um, let me just introduce you to some Zen terms which some of us may know and others may not. Um, the word samadhi is the Zen or the Buddhist word for absorption. It literally means to become one with something. Um, and samadhi is what we develop by what we're doing today. Samadhi or samadhi power um, is just settling into that calm, quiet, spacious place in ourselves that we settle into like we do through the course of today. And uh, awakenings, uh, the, the Zen term for awakening, one is Kensho uh, and the other is Satori. Um, Kensho is kind of like a beginning, like a, a, a momentary glimpse into the experience of non-self. Um, Satori usually is a term which relates to um, a deeper, more thoroughgoing kind of experience of the same thing. Um, Kencho and Satori experience is often written about in Zen books quite frequently as kind of like being the holy grail of Zen. You know, is that, that's what you aim for, to have that experience. The problem is if you aim for it, you miss it. Uh, and you're grasping after, it's like chasing a butterfly, it just keeps further away from you. And so the day-to-day -day experience of sitting, uh, of, of Zen, is, is samadhi experience. You know, it's just sitting um, and calming the mind. And if we do that, um, and we're not expecting it, and usually it comes when we're not expecting it and grasping after it, some little awakening experiences come. And... Um, I'm not going to bore you too much with, this, with the science of it, but it's probably worthwhile just stating it so that you understand the different types of experiences. Um, James Austin, who was a Zen practitioner who wrote um, Zen in the Brain, um, said that he hypothesised that samadhi experiences or absorptions uh, are slow-acting beta-endorphin opiate-type experiences, so a slow seeping down into calmness. Whereas Kensho and um, Satori experiences, which are very quick-acting, quick-sudden type of experience of a different pathway, and they're probably based on acetylcholine or glutamate type of experiences. But I don't want to go into the technology other than just to state it, that um, they're different types of experiences. But one's really just an extension of the other. Samadhi is being at one with something, but as you can tell in, in Zazen experience, you can be one with your breathing and you can be one with the moment, but there's a kind of a, a self-consciousness about it at the same time lingering there. And when people have opening experiences, um, somehow that, that self-consciousness is another level of I, me, mine drops out of it and it's just pure awareness, you know, for a few moments or a few minutes. And Zen books and um, Zen different schools and so on, are, um, are, you know, relate these different experiences. It could be 
there's usually some sensory experience that leads to this awakening, like the sound of a bird um, or the plop of a frog in a pond. Um, um, can happen in all kinds of circumstances. For one Zen monk, he was hanging out around a butcher's shop and one of the customers said to the, to the um, butcher, can I have three pounds of your best meat? And the butcher said, all of my meat is the best meat. At that moment, the Zen, the Zen monk was awakened. Right? In, in other words, you go beyond the metaphor, every experience is awakening. Right? Every experience is awakening. Um, so it's really an extension of samadhi. And um, samadhi is very important in terms of day-to-day training. Um, it's polishing the mirror. Maybe we realise that there is no mirror to polish in the, in the end. But nevertheless, polishing the mirror and that purification experience is very important. Now, as a way of kind of understanding it metaphorically, um, many, many years ago, actually 50 years ago now, when I was 20, when I was a young man, these are in pre-Zen times when I was a yoga practitioner, um, I lived on the northern beaches and um, I used to go quite regularly down to the point at Long Reef, if anyone knows it, which is a sort of a parkland area high up looking over the ocean, one of the most easterly tips. And, um, and I'd sit there in the dark before the sun came up and then you'd, you'd sit there and then you would see it gradually becoming lighter and lighter but the sun hasn't quite come up yet and then you wait there for that moment where the sun just peeps across the horizon and there's a, the rays of the sun hit you. Right? It's kind of like an awakening experience. It's like it's that gradual, that gradual awakening in the dark, you know, and then the, you see the glow of the light gradually giving form to everything and then the sun pops over the horizon bang you know it's kind of like everything's bright and clear and um, and and in that experience there's a sense of uh, wonder and awe and something eternal because it's probably billions and billions of times the earth has rotated towards the sun in that place and the sun has arisen, you know, and the, and the earth just keeps rotating through empty space, right? And you're the experiencer of it. It's a wonderful thing. And it happens every day, um, but most of us miss it. Mm-hmm. We're so self-absorbed that we <coughs> miss that experience. And there's a sense of... Uh, well, for me, there is a sense of being connected back into history as well and, and uh, remembering the, the Aboriginal people who lived around this area for 20,000, 40,000 years. Men and women probably sitting on that same promontory with the same experience, you know, going back thousands and thousands of years. So that's the human experience. I don't know what the experience is like for whales or for seagulls or for wallabies when the sun comes up. Do they experience the same sense of wonder and awe as human beings or is that a particularly human characteristic to be able to appreciate the, the eternal nature? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Just a question.
Now, there's different types of samadhi, and in Japanese culture, they, they turn samadhi into a joke. It's a sort of a gentle irony, but they talk about, um, in a joking way, academic samadhi, where you're absorbed in analytic thinking, or wealth samadhi, you know, where you're absorbed in luxury. Mm-hmm. But there could, be, there could be many times types of samadhi of things that we get absorbed in in our life. All human beings get absorbed in experiences and kind of escape from themselves in it. So there's gambling samadhi and there's drinking samadhi. There's many different types of samadhi, but we want to be careful which kind of samadhi we get absorbed in, right? Whether it's one that leads to waking up from the self-centred dream or it's one that maintains it. Um, we're all familiar with the word self-absorption, which is a pejorative kind of statement. And um, in, in psychiatry, psychology, it's said that people with um, borderline personality disorders and narcissistic personality disorders are people who are very self-absorbed. Well, we must be all have borderline you know, diagnoses and narcissistic ones because we're all self-absorbed. And our minds were not actually made to be preoccupied ruminating on how good I am or where I'm worthwhile or da-da-da-da-da or searching for something that's not there. Our minds are actually created in a functional way to be out there experiencing things. Now, years ago, hunting and gathering, you know, sitting around a fire and singing songs together, swimming, making love, bringing up children, chopping wood. It's all out there in in the experience of life. But with this self-consciousness that we have, human beings seem to have this capacity to get caught in a trap of self-absorption. So instead of that, that, that consciousness functioning in the world, it just ruminates on its own experience and gets trapped there. That's samsara, to get trapped in that that cycle. That's what we're trying to break out of. Now to go back again into my um, years of being 20 years old, I lived in two different worlds. So I was a a young man practicing yoga, living on the northern beaches of Sydney, you know, sort of very unworldly and very naive. And at the same time, my first job was as an inspector's clerk in a police station. So I was a secretary to the inspector of the station. And the station I actually happened to work at was Darlinghurst Police Station, which took in King's Cross, which, as you know, was and perhaps still is kind of like the cauldron of the dark side of life, of inner city life. So here I was living on the northern beaches in this idyllic sort of um, unworldly life and being the secretary to this old gnarled inspector who um, been a cop on the beat in King's Cross for about 20 or 30 years and he'd seen I'm sure just about every human foible you could see um, but he wasn't a um, he wasn't um, an angry self-righteous cop I think he'd just seen so many human foibles and suffering and so on he kind of was rather forgiving of human nature but if you're wrong side the law he just had to arrest you, you know, and put you in jail, that was his job but um, occasionally he used to take me out to um, the pub across the road on a Friday Friday afternoon, and um, and there 
I'd be there with my mineral water and he'd be there with his <laughs> schooner of beer. And one day in a conversation he asked me what I did and I said, oh, I practice yoga. And he said, oh, yeah, right, okay. He said, well, at six o'clock every Friday for the last 20 years, I've been coming to this place going into a yogic trance. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking samadhi right? <laughs> took the edge off that hard life that he experienced as a cop and softened things for a while. So we all have our our own escapes. Um, what we what we absorb ourselves in. Now, when we go to the movies, we have movie samadhi. Right? Um, maybe when we go shopping, we have shopping samadhi. I don't know. But it's very important to um, uh, it's very important to discern what it is we get absorbed in because some things are wholesome for us and some aren't, you know. Um, I love reading novels. There's a there's a big difference between absorbed being absorbed in Charles Dickens and and being absorbed in some cheap and nasty novel, you know, pot boiler, right? Or going to a movie that's got some noble intention in it, or going to a movie that's just all violence and sensationalism, you know? It's very important what we get absorbed in, just like the food that we eat. Um, and to, to cultivate samadhi both in Sarsin and in our everyday life, um, what is important is that we're, we're absorbing ourselves, like absorbing ourselves in nature, for instance, you know, or even absorbing ourselves in sport or walking or something like that. Something which actually calms, you know, and leads to some healthy connection with something rather than an unhealthy one. If I go back again to being 20, um, one of the good things about being 20 years I was in a younger body and I was healthier. But if I look back, the negative things about being 20 is that I had a head full of ideas and I had a heart full of anguished emotion. Right? And that's, that's different now. Um, so being young is not always wonderful in various ways. There's a lot of growth that actually uh, needs to happen. Um, but if you're caught in that self-absorption and you then you try to escape from that self-absorption through drugging, drinking, um, mindless activities, then you just perpetuate it. Then there's no way out of the cycle. So, so Zen practice is always um, a way out of that cycle. Like I said in the beginning, um, Kensho Satori experiences, these sudden awaking experiences, are often built up to be the holy grail of Zen. But we should not undervalue um, how important gradual awakening is. Gradual awakening, I think, is what most people actually experience. It's like the, the ice block of frozen thoughts and emotions, sort of, it just gradually melts, it gets smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it would be okay 
to be sitting on that peninsula at Long Reef in the darkness, watching the light gradually come up, but never seeing the sun come up. That would be okay. That'd be pretty good. And um, if the sun does come up and there's that sudden spark of ray, do you know, also like, do you know, the, um, the Buddha was awakened seeing the morning star, similar type of experience. Well, that's all very fine, but I've seen many people over the years have those experiences, say that they do, and, and it's amazing how quickly the ego ascends the throne again. And having had that experience becomes something that they talk about too much, advertise too much. And it's like, it, you know, the self then becomes absorbed in the fact they have the experience. Rather than keeping our eyes on what the issue really is, is that experience wakes us up from the self-centred dream, out of the self-absorption. That's really the key. Robert Aiken, who was one of my teachers, said, I'm not interested in the day that you have a Kensho experience. I'm interested in the day after you have a Kensho experience. <laughs> like, how is it going to transform you or not? If the transformation is truly there, then it's the death of narcissism, it's the death of self-absorption, and it's the birth of altruism. It's the death of cynicism and it's the birth of joy. It's the, it's the death of non-love and the birth of love. It's the death of separateness and it's the birth of connection. They're all the actual transformative things that, that happen. That's the, the awakening from the self-centred dream. So whether it happens suddenly or whether it happens gradually doesn't matter as long as it's actually moving in that direction. So as I've been saying a number of times recently, um, there is this formal practice we do together um, where we're not going into self-absorption um, by sitting, um, contemplating our navel as the saying goes, um, we're actually being absorbed in momentary experience. And I would encourage all of you to continue to do that in natural environments as much as you can, can outside of this formal practice. Walk along the beach, go bushwalking, look at a flower, patch a dog. Mm -hmm. Thank you.